0: This is Software Defined Survival, where we talk to AVIT professionals and software developers to find out how to leverage software to reinvent ourselves and the way we do business. We listen to their stories and ask for advice and tactics on how to survive and thrive in a software-defined world. Today on Software Defined Survival. We are the crown jewel in the IT industry.
1: We have to act like it. We have to look and feel like their email, like their voice over IP, like their security, like their virtual desktop. Because you know, people always say, well, you know, software, oh, software defined, what, what if, right? We're all fear, fear, fear. Because, well, what happens if the network goes out and Jorge goes, my network doesn't go out. We are so defensive about our industry that we don't understand IT, that we're preventing our own success by not embracing and looking at ourselves as actually specialized IT VARs.
0: Springtime greetings from sunny Central Europe. My name is Patrick Murray, and by the time you hear this, it will probably be cold and rainy here again. Today's guest has been CEO at several companies in the AVIT space, And his LinkedIn profile shows a more charitable side, where he has been a board or committee member of several organizations, including Pelatuma Music Festival, which funds music in local schools, and the Mid-Pacific Information and Communication Technology Center that helps improve career pathways for thousands of students. As you all know, I love learning and teaching, so I'm all behind that, and he's also a on the board of Order of Oddfellows, whose mission it is to improve and elevate the character of man. And that sounds pretty darn interesting. He is currently CEO at Utelogy, a software-defined platform to control, manage, and analyze your enterprise. Ladies and gentlemen, Frank Pellcover. Frank, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Mr. Murray. How are you today? I am doing excellent. How, how are things by you?
1: Uh, Very good. Here in California, it's uh, 7.45 a.m., and um, you're in my second favorite country on the planet, uh, der Deutschland. (laughs) And uh, if I was ever going to have to go somewhere else, uh, that would be the place I choose. What brought you? I know you're interviewing me, but what brought you to Germany? Uh,
0: turning the tables. Yeah. Love, not money. So my, I moved to my wife's hometown. She had, <laughs> she had family in my hometown and lots of back and forth over the years. And eventually she won that battle. So that, that's my story. <laughs> I'm sticking to it. So, Frank, is there anything now about Familie that? Familia kommt aus Deutschland. Ehrlich? Really? Oh, very good. Sehr gut Deutsch. We could do the, webinar, uh, the podcast in, in German, right? Mess everybody up. We could. <laughs> so. maybe, maybe the next one. That's a good idea for a show. Um, is there anything about that introduction that you'd like to correct or expand upon?
1: Uh, no, it's the Petaluma Music Festival. We raise money for uh, band instruments, uh, augment teacher salaries. Uh, um, uh, the Odd Fellows um, is an organization that dates back to the U.K., uh, in the 1700s, and it's just all about uh, community, um, educating orphans, um, etc. Uh, and then, yeah, Mid Pacific—it's called MPICT, uh, Mid Pacific ICT—and it is an initiative in the Western United States amongst community colleges, of which there's you know several hundred, and uh, it's all about making sure that the ICT education tracks are addressing the types of things that are coming, uh, so that they put out students that, um, have the information they need to be successful.
0: So. Sure. I I imagine, uh, a lot of the changes that we see in technology, um, obviously schools will need to keep pace with that. And that must be a really hard challenge, especially at the community level.
1: Yeah, I think it is a challenge because. you know, Moore's law, uh, is, um, got, got, got a pretty good element of truth to it. So, uh, and if you do anything in education, you know, that curriculum is, um, it it takes, it takes a, a good effort to put together a piece of curriculum for a single class. And if Moore's law has technology improving and doubling in its capacity every, you know, few years, uh, it's It's a big effort to keep pace with the status of technology so uh, but they use a bunch of business leaders um, on different committees to help um, you know drive their curriculum advancements so it's fun I, I like being in
0: that in that space interesting, interesting stuff so it looks like your background is more i.t based please correct me if that's not uh, correct accurate how no. did How nope. did you get involved in AV?
1: Uh well I built my first control system when I was in fifth grade. No way. Uh I asked yeah, I had a Beatles cassette tape. That's how old I am. Um and in fact it was the Let It Be album. And I'd asked my dad to take me down to the local hardware store. We bought a he bought me a, a, a piece of uh of uh, uh plywood, a couple of light potentiometers, dimmers. Um, and some uh, AC receptacles and we built a box and I plugged in a few different lights, a a cheap little plastic fiber optic, you know, fountain light and a, and a spinning, you know, kind of the, what are the drama vellums or the, or I don't even, I'm not in the, in the live event space, but the colored pieces of plastic with the lights behind it and, and uh, spent a couple of days building my box and, then I went, uh, uh, waited t- 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 till it was dark. I had my parents and the next door neighbors come over and I put on the, uh, the first the title track of the let it be album and all two and a half minutes. I made the lights go on and off and boy, I thought I was the coolest thing. I wish I had that thing. That today, is cool. But, um, Do you have any pictures of it? I don't only in my head, yeah. but, uh, and then I got into the AV business. Um, you know, through like so many of us through live music, you know, I, I play mandolin. It's cheaper than a psychologist to play music and, <laughs> um, and, uh, just had some opportunities, uh, you know, in the, in the nineties to, to, to do some AV loved it. Uh, thought it was very cool and it was a way to make money. And, uh, I haven't really looked back. Um, I've had to learn, i t and I've really had to learn the last decade the idea of solution selling you know i've I've had some good mentors and partners and you know people hel- helping me along the way like you i'm I'm always trying to learn I'm always curious you know how did that guy do so well have happy customers that paid him so much money? What did he do? what expectations did he set that I did not so
0: yeah it's not always the the t- the technology that uh that is the deciding factor in these things there's there's often some nuances involved with it that um yeah that that can only be learned sometimes you could learn them as one plus one is two more but more often than not it's it's uh it's a more nuanced thing that um that you can't directly just kind of learn you just kind of have to be around it and experience it a little bit so I like that you mentioned the fact that uh mentors are important to you um how do you did you just kind of bump into somebody that that helped you along your way or did you actively seek a mentor and and how did you go about that process what was it uh was it even like something you set out to do or did it just happen
1: oh yeah um in fact um my very first business was a coffee cart at the college i was going to and And so I reached out to the CFO of the college. Um, I knew he had gone to uh, UC Berkeley's uh, Graduate School of Business. And then I also reached out to the dean of the business department, Professor Alistair Milroy, um, who had owned a, a shoe manufacturing company in the UK before he got into teaching. And I said, hey, here's an opportunity, but I don't really know what I'm doing um, never had a business before. wondering if you guys can help me, and they did, and that, that kind of got me hooked on the idea of mentors and i 'm not sure how many people on the planet would say i don 't have an ego, but you have to set aside your ego and really be willing to embrace your vulnerabilities and take a good hard look at you know what you think your strengths are and be willing to hear what other people think your strengths are not. You know, so I've kept the portfolio. I mean, it's always you know, one to three. Um, I mix them up. I, I keep in touch um, at least once a month. I you know, go to lunch, have a phone call. It's a great thing to do. Mentors, I advocate for them.
0: Great stuff. I really appreciate that. Also, the the tactical advice of keeping in touch and, and meeting at least once a month. Um, I'm, I'm actually in the middle of of the book. Uh, ego is the enemy, so it's funny you should bring that up right now. And um, it does have a lot of uh, knock on effects. When putting putting the ego to the side, it just kind of uh, makes the glass empty and, and ready to to receive the knowledge. So let's jump back to AV. Could you tell me about your most successful project and and what made it special for you?
1: Well, I mean, there's so many, uh, you know, and there's, there's some projects that, you know, don't go well. They all end well. Yeah. um, But you know, you know how that goes. We Um, all have those. The most successful project, at least as far as utility is concerned uh, is in the, California Community College System. We started in in higher education. It was a way for us to vet our technology at an enterprise level without having to fly around the world. We could do a couple hundred, three hundred, five hundred, a thousand rooms, um, and do it in a in a, in a region. Uh, even though it was a longer sales cycle, but I would say the Los Angeles Community College District. The CIO, his name is Jorge Mata. Uh, it, they are the largest community college on the planet. They have something like a quarter million students um, in any given uh, semester. They have nine campuses. Uh, it's, it's a multi-billion dollar operating budget. And, and they've got a problem. I mean, they've got a couple of thousand classrooms. And When I I met Jorge at a CIO conference, you know, I would do what I always do, which is, you know, tell me about what kind of challenges you have with your technology in the classrooms or conference rooms. And we were talking about that and his challenges, you know, are like nothing you would hear in a typical AV conversation because they really had nothing to do with the video on the screen the quality of the audio, his challenges were decidedly IT kind of challenges. I have no insight into my rooms. Okay. I eschew propriety. Uh, it seems ridiculous that I have to pay so much money for a box that's really running. He's got a chip in there uh, and a PC that's been locked down. I have several hundred people on my IT staff. Uh, and I have a choice. I have to either hire one or two people with a very highly specialized skill set. If they go away, I'm stuck. Or I have to hire a third party, you know, with this with this skill set. And um, uh, you know, so so th- those were some of his pains. And I, he wants the ability to have deliver a ubiquitous user experience, regardless of what integrator he uses. Sure. But it goes further. He goes, I'm spending $25,000 a classroom wow. on average, yeah. 2,000 classrooms, seven-year refresh. He's yeah. got a $50 million AV budget, right? So divide that by seven years. That's a very significant amount of money. Sure. And he's responsible to a board of trustees, faculty, you know, taxpayers in his case. And, and he wants to understand what the effect of the technology is having on like student learning outcomes, for instance. Right. And in fa- fact, this goes to a, va- a value conversation that uh, I hope we can touch on. But so uh, we did a first, it was like 50 rooms, uh, proof of concept. And then we did another 80 rooms and then we did a project that couple hundred rooms it ended up being about 350 rooms and over the course of two and a half years triple redundant you know virtual environment because uh, his data centers he's got three data centers spread throughout the southland well the third one is virtualized um and it just ticked all the boxes for him and um he didn't force it he 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 let it run its course It was evaluated by all nine campuses, the directors of IT on each campus. That, to me, from a sales perspective, was just a highlight. From a technology and a success perspective, it was a highlight from a CIO uh, level and a very large enterprise with a couple thousand rooms. It was a highlight. Um, And my favorite quote is, because you know, people always say, Well, you know, the software, oh, software defined. What what if, right? All fear, fear, fear. And Jorge goes, you know, uh, we had an Australian partner out and he came and toured this facility. He says, Well, what happens if the network goes out? And Jorge goes, My network doesn't go out. <laughs> I have utilities I have Uteligis sitting right next to my payroll server. What if my payroll server goes out? I mean he, yeah. he's all you shouldn't be in this role. If you've got network problems like that, and it's the truth, right? Yeah. So, anyways, very big highlight success, and then they ended up buying, you know, a, a seven-figure uh, subscription um, on a on a five-year, four-year contract with us, and you know, we love it, and that was very successful. Everyone's happy:
0: teachers, students, the CIO, our company, just win, win, win. I really, really love that story. There's so many elements that I'd like to touch on. I don't think we'll have the time to hit them all, but um, you found like the golden end user who really just laid out these needs, was lo- um, knowledgeable of the network, right? Just saying, my network does not go out. AV people. Not all of them, of course, it's getting better, but you know, uh, everybody tries to do this private network where we close everything off into our own little network and call it a network. And that's not really the idea. We're not taking full advantage of everything that standards-based networks offer to us. There's, Like I said, there's a lot I want to touch on, but I'm curious about that. So what kind of uh, issues did you run into in, in the first few rollouts with that project?
1: Well, uh, a network issue. Actually, the very first one. Uh, he had a campus that was, you know, a hot mess of a network, okay. and uh, and it was a it was a major issue. But we spent a lot of time really focusing on the customer, what the challenges were, and and remember, this was a POC. So if we didn't get past this step one we Absolutely. weren't going to get, that it was going to be it in all likelihood. Right. So, so helping them understand what the problem was instead of a big finger pointing exercise, teachers would call. I remember our sales guy, James Gonzalez on this project. Te- teachers would call him on a Saturday. They had Saturday class. This isn't working, you know, and he'd have to walk them through. He would go there uh, a lot of days, you know, for, for a couple of months just to hold their hand, but also to really make sure that he was understanding what that pain point was and understand the customer use case scenarios. And so instead of a finger pointing, well, this doesn't work because we knew they understood at a, at a, at a intellectual level, what the possibilities could be, they just needed to improve their network. So, uh, that's, that's how it went. And, and, um, We worked with the IT department. We don't sell network, but in their case, uh, they're HP. Um, we work very closely with Cisco as well, but in, in their case, it's, it's an HP network and, you know, we were able to work with their team. And I would say from an integration perspective, that's a huge, huge requirement. If you don't have high level specialists like, you know, CCIE, which are not cheap people or people like our mutual friend, Misha der Stoop, on your team, uh, you're not going to be very successful in the new paradigm. And there's plenty of work in the old paradigm, right? That's not going away. I would argue that right now. Uh, it's just the rate of growth with huddle rooms, boardrooms, conference rooms, collaboration spaces is double-digit. It will be double-digit for several years to come, as far out as we can see into the future. So, um, there, there, I would argue there's plenty of room for both. And that's a parenthetic uh,
0: comment there, but it's a recurring theme on it's this all show. About the show. Yeah, network. yeah. It, it comes up quite a yeah. bit. Like the old, I don't even want to call it old, but the very specialized, highly customized, one off type rooms that could get very complex. They'll always be there and um, they'll always be custom. And they'll kind of be islands. So, you know, the, the customization and um, maybe a hardware based approach is kind of okay, but if you're, but you can't scale it. So um, anything that needs to operate at scale, many, many huddle rooms or middle-sized conference rooms um, will need to start, take advantage of the network. Uh, I just want to point out the lesson that I got from that last part of the story Um because my next question was, you know, what kind of troubles did you have, and, and how did you solve them? You talked about hands-on support, and of course, support really is uh, the secret sauce to a great business and long-term customer relationships. But you pointed out that it, it it improved your knowledge of how your systems are being used, and that was and that was intentional. It wasn't just to. Um, provide great support for the customer to, to win that customer over, which of course is a great thing to do anyway, but you also saw value in, in learning about your own product and, and how it's being used. And I, I think that's a, a really important point of that story. So after that, you've got, you've got this project with um, kind of the perfect end user, lots of knowledge, um, a big budget. Uh, you've got this proof of concept. You moved beyond that and and did the large rollout. What was kind of the next step and uh, what what activities really provided the most traction on, on to get you to where you are today?
1: Oh, uh, well, on that particular project, it was repeating that POC process um, as well. I mean, you can imagine, right? So, in solution sales, you know, the, the mantra is "find pain, heal pain." If you got to boil it down, that's it. Yeah. And uh, but it, it, in any enterprise environment if, if, if you're not experiencing uh, a committee right the four constituencies if you will the users the technical the business folks CFO etc and, and the financial uh, well I would say maybe maybe your executive sponsor director leveling up excuse me then uh, you're not you're not tapped in. To the source. If you're responding to an RFP, all the value's been sucked out of the project at that point. It's a commodity. Once it's once it's in an RFP format. And so um, and think about the consultants in our industry, right? They're the ones that are tapped into the value. Tell me what you're trying to achieve. Tell me about the challenges you're trying to overcome, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They're the ones that are sitting there with those four constituencies and having the conversation. Well, I mean, fix it that go have those conversations and there's nothing wrong with an IT or an AV, you know, VAR, I prefer to call them. If you're having those kinds of conversations, then you're a value added reseller um, as opposed to an integrator. Integrator implies you're technical, that's your value proposition, but you're also fighting margins. If you're a VAR, you're probably having the conversations with the four constituencies. So relative to your question, our conversations were multiple, multiple, they, you know, they have a, a, an interdistrict technology committee with all the IT, deep, you know, leaders from all the nine campuses. Um, they have a user group committee, and it was two years of that. They all meet quarterly, so you can imagine those and go and report on your progress, ask questions, what have you learned? You know, there's seven campuses here that haven't experienced this. You two campuses, let's share, you know, what are your experiences? And it's developing trust with all of those constituencies over the course of time. And of course, it doesn't go perfect. Of course, there's people that raise questions and, and you know, fear, uncertainty, doubt. If you don't have that, then you're not either asking the right questions or, or, or not. It's a normal part of it all we just had to go through all of that and address them one by one. They even went so far as to hire two different consulting firms outside of what they normally hire to design classrooms. One was an IT VAR in the Midwest, uh, an IT consultant in the Midwest, and one was an AV consultant in the Midwest. They went to other states to evaluate us against two of the old paradigm, you know, giants in the industry. And, um, that, that was a particularly proud moment because now there's something published in the public record that we scored, you know, perfect scores, uh, uh, you know, in you know, a whole bunch of areas against, you know, very respectable and, you know, leaders in our industry. That, that was a proud moment, but sorry, I probably got off track. What was your question again?
0: <laughs> Not at all. Well, I was asking you how you gained traction with end users because you kind of alluded to it, the way AV projects flows, from From my perspective as a programmer and for many integrators as well is the end customer enlists a consultant to make a uh, a specification and that is what we see right and and that's and then the project gets done and then maybe there's some contact with the end user afterwards to uh to fill in the blanks that were missed in in that um in in that process and um, I, I'm noticing it already now that it is it's, it's a different business flow. Being an AV programmer, there were just a few manufacturers that people would choose from and the phone would just kind of ring, right? The, everybody else would do the hard work of marketing and sales and the phone would just kind of ring. But now with software-based solutions where even if you're doing something open source, if it's affordable or not, doesn't really mean much of a difference. There's this... Um, there's this marketing and sales process that's that's just inherently different than, uh, than something that's hardware based, so that's something I grapple with a lot, and you definitely answered the question quite well that's uh, really enlightening these these four constituencies that you that you spoke of and um, that was definitely very helpful well, i would
1: I, I would add, you know and, and you just said it and and I'm coming from a place of deep respect, Pat, but you said. You know, you get through the project, you go through, you're having the programmers in particular are very well positioned to fit in this paradigmatic shift in approach that I'm talking about from a just from a a stylistic approach to value added sales, solution sales. But you said something that I just wrote down, contacting the customer afterwards for small changes and follow up. I would argue there is no afterwards. That may be the biggest issue that the AV industry has. So let's continue on this conversation with this particular customer. Los Angeles Community College District, 2000 rooms, nine campuses. Utility's taken a 2000 room license off the table as a subscription. It's done. And for several AV you know, integrators along the way, you know, we're trying to get them to go in with us. We can't get them that, you know, we're voodoo, we're bad, you'll die. You know, no one ever got fired for hiring Big Blue, IBM, right? You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Well, well, now that we've got the license and now that they're moving forward with with implementing, okay, new building coming online here, new building there, 25 rooms here, 50 rooms there. And that will go on over the next five years, actually. They're refreshing every room on the platform over the next five years. And not a single AV integrator. They look at these, oh, it's 25 rooms. I don't want to bid on it. Oh, it's Utelogy. They're not in there asking, did they already own Utelogy? They're calling us and saying, I need a quote. This is, you know, I'm supposed to put this system on the utility platform. Just so not, just like completely and utterly missing the target altogether. But the worst part is, to them, that 20-room project, that 50-room project is the start and end of that thing. There is no ongoing. There is yeah. no enterprise conversation. And, and I see it repeating itself over and over again. In fact, I, I want to start a class called Enterprise Solution Selling for Infocom. I keep telling myself I want to do this. Sign because me. I would argue, Patrick, that I'm going to go off, off, off road here. Go crazy. We were talking recently about, you and I, about the IT industry in 2017. was a $3.5 trillion global industry. And depending on what numbers you look at, the AV industry in 2017 was about 120 billion, maybe 150 billion, somewhere in there globally, which is about a three, three and a half percent, you know, take of the total IT global spend in 2017. I would argue that we in AV have been so defensive and I'm from AV. I owned an immigration company in California for a decade, that, that, that we are so defensive about our industry, and we don't understand IT, that we're preventing our own success by not embracing and looking at ourselves as actually specialized IT VARs. We are the crown jewel of IT. And I would bet you, we've never talked about this, but I would be willing to, to, to say Go out on a limb and say, Patrick, you have been involved in AV projects where you struggled to have a meaningful cooperation or communication with an IT department, whether it was the network folks, whether it was the data center folks, whatever they are. They kind of wouldn't give us the time of day or the information we needed, or they threw up their hands and said, you guys just build a different network. We don't even want you on our network. You have probably experienced that. I'm Absolutely. Guessing. Yeah. And And the result of that is we said, okay, the truth of the matter is that's not what they want. They want your stuff, our stuff, on their network. They just don't believe us. We can't have a coherent conversation. That said, when we're done with the project and the building opens up, and all the contractors get to come, you've probably been to those kind of parties, a lobby party where they celebrate, they bring in, you know, the, the people that funded the building, the people that built the building, the users, and everyone gets to spend a couple hours, you know, with cookies and punch and, you know, etc. Where are those IT folks? They're showing off the boardroom. They're showing off our technology our that we installed. Yeah. They wouldn't have give us the time of day. And I'm I'm being a little cheeky there, but yeah, yeah. You, you get my point, right? Sure. We are the crown jewel in the IT industry. We have to act like it. We have to look and feel like their email, like their voice over IP, like their security, like their virtual desktops. And when we do that, whether you're using our technology here at Utology or whether you're using you know, our competitor's technology, It makes the AV world show up in a completely different way. And here's what you'll experience. You'll experience an IT department going, oh, I get it. Thank you. Conversation done. You got to be able to talk about the security protocols, which you you know, Misha, that guy is probably, you know, top 10 globally from a network perspective. John Chambers at Cisco he was like up there in 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 John Chambers whenever John Chambers was in EMEA, Misha was there supporting him. That kind of thing. Misha does, you know, network reference architecture for companies that have 10,000 rooms globally in, you know, 80 countries, hundreds of cities. We're the crown jewel of IT, that's my claim, and I'm sticking
0: to it. I love the mindset specialized i t vars and uh, and and that the i t people basically show off our stuff because Iraq is Iraq, and uh, you know video is much more interesting so oh, yeah. can we can we get a little tactical because the message to me is loud and clear. I love it, but there are some steps to get there so what what should a company with a traditional a v background? Or even a, an independent programmer like myself. What are some steps they could take? Uh, maybe you could break it down. What What should a salesperson be doing? What should a technician or a programmer be doing to be able to have better conversations with uh, with IT?
1: Well, first off, um, so I, I mentioned the four constituencies, right? Yeah. Technical users, executive th- think director IT or CIO. Um, CFO, but you need an executive sponsor. For us, it's usually a director of IT or a CIO. Uh, My experience with, and they're not all like this. I mean, let me be clear this, you know, I'm being very general here. I'm flying at a high level, but the AV world is very comfortable talking to technical people at a customer site, right? An AV department. Yeah, if there is one, I find or it challenging IV not to talk both. technical. Well, and there's a very important space for that, but that is, I would argue, the biggest discipline. You know, the biggest thing we have to discipline ourselves to avoid, um, yeah. and to elevate the conversation to the director level. Well, how do you do that? So, if I was an IAV integrator today, I would be doing small regional shows with cios i would not have and if you ever come to utelogy booth uh, these kinds of things you'll never see a piece of equipment in our booth ever 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 it's the death of a sale because i'm not here to show you the thing i'm here to, to find out your challenges that's strategic a thing is not strategic it's tactical focus on the strategy that's number one right Small regional CIO shows, government, education, you know, small, medium businesses. Uh, If you're big enough to handle large scale, you know, Fortune 10,000 companies, you know, great. If you're not, avoid them because they're huge and cumbersome. You can do a lot of damage from a, you do a lot of great things, I should say, with a law firm that's got, you know, 50 conference rooms in three locations in your state, right? Sure. And there's a lot of good value to be had there. So that's the first thing. The second thing um, is just focusing on the pain in those conversations, the strategy. And I, my thing is, when I'm talking to a CIO, I will say, so for our first meeting, I only need 15 minutes of your time, 20 minutes max. So I'll make it quick. I want to get to the word no as fast as possible. I don't want to waste your time or mine. Okay. Then I say, if I get the meeting, then I say, what I really want is just you by yourself. None of your team. I don't want to bring your integrator, just me and you. And usually, she or he will uh, uh, agree to that. Then I say, tell me about your challenges. What's your pain? Because if their team is there, they will not tell you what their challenges are. Hmm. They want a candid peer-to-peer conversation. Almost like a mentor relationship and and I swear it's a it's, it's fascinating they'll tell you well my challenges you know my my AV integrator they, they they hold me hostage, you know the TV broke when my team went out, they got a new TV you know they just want to hang it and, and change the code and it's two weeks before the you know the integrator can come out and they want to charge me a thousand bucks well if you've got a thousand rooms and that, you know, and every room requires that, you know, once or twice over the life of its system, that, that's a burr under the saddle. Yeah. Their, their world is, I should be able to do this. I had an employee quit on my voice over IP. I canceled, you know, that, that, that their email account. I canceled their voice over IP account. Yeah, I had an IT bar install the voice over IP system, but I can manage it. I can make changes. I can spin up a new account. That's what these people want. Let them have what they want. Then, so that's strategy, that's value. Now you've had an honest conversation. Okay, sounds like we're not at the word no. What's the best next steps? Who should I talk to in your organization to get this going? My goal is to have a proof of concept. I want you to go buy five rooms and any good CIO or any good director of IT is not going to make unilateral decisions. They're going to send it down for vetting to their team, period. If they don't, they're not good. So now we get permission to go start having meetings with the team, sponsored by the executive. We got our executive sponsor. And we're going to go through that. And uh, then that's when I would bring in someone senior like you, right? And I'd say, well, you know, please meet Patrick Murray. He is highly technical, he has been here, done that. And I think that for programmers in our industry, they're the best positioned to do this. As opposed to a senior install technician, the programmers are the ones that understand architecturally at the high level how these things go together. They're the ones, the one constituency in AV that's had those conversations about, okay, what are you trying to achieve with this user interface what are you trying to achieve with your user experience so that's when i bring those people in for vetting and i will and if they're network experts i'll leave it at that if they're not then you know i treat them as user experience experts but then i will also bring in a network expert and my goal there is to squash the network conversation as fast as it comes up and if you got the right person there They're going to, you know, the customer's going to say, well, what's the effect on my network? What are your security protocols? How do you avoid, you know, X, Y, Z? How many hops on the network? What do I got to do? What ports have got to be opened up, et cetera, et cetera. And that conversation will pop up, I guarantee it, and it can go away in 15 minutes. And now they're open to everything else that you want to talk about. You still have to go through and vet, you know, and validate the network architecture in support of this paradigm, right? But you still, now their heads, you've shut down a whole voice in their head and you've got their full attention. Instead of every time you bring something up, they're thinking, what's the security? How's this going to work? I swear. So the UX expert, which I consider AV programmers to be, and a network expert, which I, I believe that Net AV programmers are the best suited and have the closest skill set in our industry to be able to learn and fill those roles. And like you said earlier, you love to learn. I love to learn. You know, I I, I went and got a CCNA at, at, at one point. You know, twelve years ago now. But believe me, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And it you know it helps me in my conversation. So um, tactically. Those are the first few steps. And my goal is to get to a proof of concept. Um, From a business owner's perspective, it takes some money. And really the new value here is AV as a service. Well, Utilogy is a platform that enables that. So if you're a managed services provider, that's one thing, right? But in the AV industry, we've done this idea of a services contract. Well, what's a services contract? It's nothing more than an actuarial bet between me and the customer. They're betting that their maximum exposure is X, and I'm betting that I built the system so well that I'm going to pocket that money at, you know, and warrant this for a year, right? Sure. And what kind of long-term relationship is that when at the end of a specific project, We've now got a bet against each other that's basically some sort of insurance policy, as opposed to AV as a service. I have, I've done all that heavy lifting up front to understand your problems, to quell the concerns of your team, to earn your trust, to prove that the concept works. Now we've got a relationship. Now we've actually got a, a partnership. We're a partner, a trusted partner, a trusted value-added partner margins are now healthy the relationship is awesome and now i've got a subscription model so where do you go if you're a business owner well cisco finance if you're a cisco reseller i don't know what what their terms are there's some mix if if half or 60% of the of the you know project involves cisco equipment they'll finance the whole thing there's a whole ton of finance companies out there that can fund the idea of AV as a service, just as a subscription. There is no upfront cost. You're going to pay whatever you're going to pay. $1,500 a month for this conference room with dual screens and a Cisco SX20, you know, a BiAmp, you know, Tessera, a soundbar, whatever it may be, right? Whether it's a huddle room or a complex boardroom. And you can price it accordingly. And what you'll find is that Subscription is actually not that hard to sell in fact it's a huge asset to most entities, especially in the corporate space because instead of having to capitalize this, put it on their books, straight line you know a- amortize uh, and depreciate it's just fully expensable it's like a lease it, and companies lease things all the time and and so we changed the whole model to look like Oh, my voice over IP is a subscription. Most of my video uh, is now a subscription. Most of my CRM is now a subscription. Most of my ERP, I mean, I don't know what the number is, but a vast majority of things that IT departments buy are bought today as a subscription. So we need to change the business model. We need to change the sales approach. We need to train up our AV programmers, which are very well positioned to leverage this, Um, and uh, and and then at that point, you know, it just becomes a matter of implementation. And we already understand that we can go in and have those conversations and say, "Gosh, if I plug this TV in to, you know, an ungrounded, you know, isolated ground." I know I'm going to have 60 cycle hum and it's going to show up as bars on my set or, you know, 60 cycle hum in an audio system. That's an expertise that we have. Right. Um, And and that's another part of our, our value. The whole conversation and the subscription business model is worth six to eight times trailing 12 months revenues. Whereas a contracting model is worth four to five times EBITDA. It's a huge difference in valuation on top of a huge difference in margins. I'm on a mission, not just for my company, but for this industry that I love. I'm on a mission to get our margins back, to be the crown jewel of IT, and to eliminate the fear that I think a lot of people in our industry have because we're undergoing this paradigmatic shift. But I'm here to tell you there's nothing to be afraid of. It's safe. We've been doing it for a decade. There's four or five competitors like me, but Barco bought lawn. You know what? It's good stuff. I would argue ours is a little better, and I say that with a smile on my face, <laughs> but it's good stuff. Kramer bought iRule. It's good stuff. I got nothing against my competitors because they were out there doing this this paradigm shift as well. It's like, a, like explorers in the old days. So nothing to be afraid of. Call us, call them. We'll, we'll walk you through it. We'll have the conversation. We'll take the time. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago.
0: The next best time to plant a tree is today.
1: Excellent, Let's plant a Frank. tree together.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, You've got another call to take in a few minutes, but I definitely would like to have you back on for a a part two because you just laid out a business plan, basically. You gave us the entire game plan to uh, get from where we are to where we need to be and uh, have a lot more success. And not only that, the motivation on top of it, I I really do appreciate that. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. If anyone would like to get in touch with you, how would they do that?
1: Well, our website, utelogy.com, U-T-E-L-O-G-Y.com. I'm Frank Pellkoffer. You can find me on LinkedIn. Of course, I always want to talk about Utelogy, but really, a rising tide lifts all ships. And you know, you hear me talk about our competitors. I'm so happy they're here. So I want to have a conversation, and we can do this together, Patrick. Let's, uh, let's work together to elevate the industry. And that's what our party is at, at ISE at Infocom. It's called the Machete Club. It has nothing to do. You'll never see us mention our name. It's If you're in and on board with the shift in paradigm, then join us. Whether you appreciate what we bring to the table or what our competitors bring to the table, no, none of that matters to us. That we're all good. We all have a good solution. What matters is that we're changing our industry. And if, and, and if you're on board with that, you know, having those kinds of conversations, you know, I'll be on all the time because I'm going to keep it neutral. I'm not going to make this about our company. It's about our industry to me. Yeah. And my company will just rise with that conversation.
0: Absolutely. There's, I mean, just the numbers you were mentioning, comparing IT to AV, there's lots of elbow room. So uh, even the word competition is um, direct competition, I think is uh, not really what's going to happen, how this will play out, at least for some time. So thank, thank you so much for being on the show, Frank, and we'll definitely do a part two sometime.
1: You got it, my friend. Thank you so much. Alfida Sen.
0: Cheesy. Alfida's in Max Good. <laughs> Ciao. Hey, Patrick here again. If Frank got you all excited about software and living up to the moniker of being the crown jewel of IT, you're going to need some new skills and more importantly, a new mindset, a new way to think about AV a new approach to designing and delivering projects. So I encourage you to go to learnavprogramming.com and just read the homepage. That's it. Just read the homepage, and if any of that resonates with you, then go ahead and click the button at the bottom of the page and sign up for the newsletter. I'll start sending you some emails with more ideas and some technical info on how to start expanding beyond the comfort zone. That's learnavprogramming.com. All right, get out there, grow, adapt, and let's live up to our specialized role in IT. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Software Defined Survival. For transcripts and show notes, go to softwaredefinedsurvival.com.